expressed therein do not necessarily reflect those of NewsWeb Radio or its management. You're joining us against the grain, Tio Hardiman, Raza Siddiqui. Uh, thank you for joining us on this Sunday. We are addressing the issue that we have talked about kind of uh, going back and forth a lot, and that is Chicago's gun violence. But more than that, because you can hear about that anywhere, we want to talk about solutions. Tio, you and I have always kind of looked towards finding solutions for some of yeah. the problems and epidemics that are kind of um, affecting the whole community. Um, it's something you've been on the front line with. You have been very active. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just a documentary, is there not? Yeah, violence the interrupters, interrupters. Yeah, I created the interrupters, the violence interrupters back in 2004, and it was pretty much turned into a documentary uh, produced by Cartemquin Films, and actually the movie won an Emmy. I Emmy did not Award know that. that. Yeah, yeah, they won an Emmy for that particular documentary. And I created the Violence Interrupters back in 2004. And the Violence Interrupters are a specialty unit. And I train the young men and women in the field of how to stop conflicts on the front end before any shots are fired, which is most important. And since that time, the staff actually uh, mediated around 1,200 conflicts where we stopped somebody from taking another person's life on the front end, not after somebody gets shot, but before the bullets are fired. So from 2004 up until now, about 1,200 conflicts have been mediated in Chicago. So, so when you say before the violence starts, what is that? Is, uh, how do you affect mm-hmm. that prevention? Is it mm-hmm. about talking with people, teaching them how to communicate? Mm-hmm. But then again, 16 years later, here we are talking about the same issue. Yes, yes. Um, and we have other people who are kind of uh, doing good work. Um, and, and we'll talk to them. But kind of tell me, what do you mean about how you were affecting right. it before it became a problem? Well, no, what would happen, we would receive a phone call that something is about to go down. And then a lot of times people will let us know who the players might be. So one thing I did is uh, I stayed true to like a code, so to speak. I never mentioned people's names. I never mentioned gang names. All I wanted to do was stop the killing on the front end. That's what made us kind of successful at the time. And uh, it's been proven, you know, the track record is out there. Our work was backed up by independent evaluation by Northwestern University that proved that we get results. And I'm not taking all the credit. A lot of people did so much work out there, but my job was to stop it on the front end. And back then, Rahm Emanuel was the mayor. And I think it was like 2012, 2013, he provided us with $2 million for the ongoing work. And we uh, actually helped reduce gun violence in the Woodlawn community by 83%. By 83%. So when you talk about on the front end, what I'm talking about is stopping people before they shoot and kill a person over a misunderstanding. And you bring both parties together and you sit them down and you work out their differences with them. And next thing you know, everybody agrees and they go ahead. They go and uh, they just uh, bring forth a peace uh, understanding. So that's how we do it. Teal, uh, this is going to be a conversation, and like with all conversations, we uh, encourage all of you to join us. Uh, you can yeah. do so at calling in 773-763-9278, 773-763-9278. We are going to have a couple of panelists who are going yeah. to join the conversation with us. We're going to have Sean Easton, who's with Walking with a Warrior. Um, so if we could punch up Sean now, and we're also going to have Sergeant Harris, who works yeah. with the Chicago PD, who um, we want to bring in on this conversation. Yeah. So, uh, Sean, actually, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about Walking with a Warrior, some of the work you've done, and what you're doing to try to build a bridge between um, communities and the police that are kind of patrolling them. Well, hey, guys, how are you? Thank you for having me on the sh- having us on the show. We appreciate it. 
We absolutely appreciate what you're doing and the fact that you're coming on here. And we're very curious about uh, what you've seen. Now, I, I believe we first met when you were holding kind of um, a community barbecue for a Bears football game, which was happening in the parking lot of a police department. And, and people from the community were invited. All I remember is there were a lot of smiles, a lot of happiness, and people were just laid back <laughs> and calm. Uh, what was the reason? What was the incentive for you to decide this is something that you thought was worthwhile and worth doing? You know, as you know, I'm a developer in Chicago with 33 Realty, and is what we're you know we own property in Austin with the 15th district. Okay. And is what we were doing is doing Bears game tailgate, okay. and is, we were inviting the community, bringing the cops in, and everyone was breaking bend, breaking bread while watching the Bears game. So when there was actually unrest going on, it started during that. Is what we did is our us as developers, we rented a taco truck and we started passing out food to our neighbors and the police and just having people talking and engaging with each other. Because I think so much is lost when dialogue goes away. Oh, and so that's what we were trying to support and trying to just be part of the community that we're investing in because we believe in it. Well, that's good, Sean, as I used to live over in the 15th district. I know a lot of your comrades and uh, associates in the 15th district from uh, all, all walks of life over there in that area. So I appreciate you doing work in the uh, 15th district, brother Sean. Sean, I'm also going to ask yeah. you, so uh, Sergeant Harris uh, with CPD and you guys have kind of worked together on this, right? Tell me how that uh, lays on from getting the food truck to making these networks kind of transcend it to a partnership where you guys are doing continual work. What kind of results have you seen from that? I'm also going to bring on Sergeant Harris, um, who's also on the call with us. Paul, yeah, Brother Raymond's on the call, too. Yeah, Sergeant Harris, you're on with Tio Hardiman, Raza Siddiqui, and uh, Sean Easton. If you could kind of tell us from your view, from your perspective in the police department, how has this relationship uh, been beneficial? What have been some of the challenges and what do you look forward to? Uh, thanks for having me, uh, uh, guys. I really appreciate uh, a chance to just talk about this great work and, and the partnership that we've had with Sean and working with the Warriors. So really just an, an understanding a little bit about just the benefits, right? It, everything Sean touched on it. It's about the dialogue. It's about getting two people who may, uh, you know, who may be on opposite ends or who may feel as if or perceive as if they're on opposite ends. But when exactly. we sit down and have conversations, we have these discussions, we start to see the commonalities. We started to see, you know, as a mom and, and you know, as, as, as a dad, you know, as a brother, you know, as a member of a community, we started to see the things we have in common. And once those are seen, right, now we can start, you know, we're on even ground. We're on a space where we can start to build and grow from. And that's where trust comes from. We talk about the need for trust, but really, how does that happen? How do you how do you create that environment? It's really, in, you know, creating these, these non-confrontational settings, these positive environments and letting people get to know each other. Yes. What have been uh, some of the challenges that you faced in trying to make these uh, these connections, these liaisons? I mean, I'm sure there were uh, uh, cultural barriers, maybe stigmas associated. Uh, it probably wasn't the easiest thing, but I imagine over a food truck and maybe a, a drink. I know your guys probably couldn't drink while you were doing this, but I'm, I'm sure that gave the opportunity for a dialogue. But what were some of the challenges you faced? Yeah, I think that challenge you, you touched on it is really just in the in the 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 perceptions or mis misperceptions or, or however it is like you know you're put in a space and you're saying hey let's go out and get to know each other it's a little bit of uncomfortable feeling right think back to the old days right right school let the dance and you know boys on one side girls on the other <laughs> it's kind of that concept right that that unfamiliarity and and it needs to be that that little thing to break the ice what breaks the ice 
You know, sometimes it's, you know, it's food, right? Sometimes it's when with, with young people, we use sports, right? It's these different things to break the ice that just makes it so that we can start speaking in a language that we both understand. And then we can start to understand, you know, understand each other. So that's important what Sean is talking about. So for Sean and for uh, Jermaine, you know, right now in Chicago, we're a little bit over 700 homicides and uh, 3,700 people shot. Now, you know, the B goes on every year in Chicago. We know how it is. It's an epidemic of gun violence that's taking place in the Austin community in Inglewood. Those two communities go back and forth as the number one communities with most of the homicides and shootings. So uh, we applaud your work out there. And what else do you all think? So if you don't mind, we got Brother Raymond Richards on the line, too, from Brothers Standing Together. We want to try to get him on so we can have a panel. But I want to, the question, Sean and Jermaine, is what more do you think can be done to really help reverse this epidemic of gun violence so we can get Chicago to under 200 homicides for for once in our lifetime. Because, you know, believe it or not, Brother Raza, Baltimore, Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., and New York, and Detroit, their homicides on the rise as well. So something's going on across the nation when you look at the numbers of what's happening. And Sean and Jermaine, and if if you don't mind, we want to bring Brother Raymond Richards on too, brother, as far as the panel. Uh, And so this is the thing. Every two hours, somebody is shot in Chicago, Sean, and every 11 hours, somebody is killed. Those are some unacceptable numbers. So I just wanted to ask you guys uh, what more you think should be done to help stop this killing out here. And then we're going to pose that question to Brother Raymond. I think Raymond Richards is on the line, uh, line three. Uh, anybody, you know, can answer that yeah. one there. Yeah, in, uh, you know, in my opinion. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I'll jump in. I'll jump in first, Sean. You can kind of uh, uh, take it and, and maybe talk a little bit more about walking with a warrior. So really, T.O., you talked about it when you just started, right? When you talked about violence interrupters and getting things on the front end, right? Yes. So we have to ask ourselves, what does prevention mean? Does prevention mean let something happen and then try to fix it and repair it? Or does it really seriously mean address the causes so that we stop it from happening in the first place? Yes. So it's really to start thinking about these ways of how do we have ideas that are really intentional about getting in the front of things before they happen, before it becomes a problem, before it becomes an issue, to, tr- to really create true prevention, right? And so one of those ideas is really what drew me to, to walking with a warrior and what Sean does is it, it's a model to do that type of thing. So Sean, maybe you know, share a little bit about walking with a warrior. Okay. Yeah, in my, gentlemen, in my opinion is what, there's two things. One is, this can't just be a West and South Side problem. This needs to be a Chicago and a United States problem, where we're all coming together to solve this. And I just couldn't sit, sit on the sidelines anymore. So it's what we came up with was uniting veterans and civilians to revitalize communities. Hmm. And it's very simple. You know, we have this great partnership with the Primo Center now, and we're creating a in-depth uh, program to have veterans mentoring youth. Life on Life 24-7, Violence Prevention and Intervention. So we're taking special operations veterans and having them build a program in conjunction with Primo Center to do violence prevention and intervention. There's a resiliency and a commonality to guys who've seen combat and a situational awareness that can be brought in to, re- to really help this situation. And we also just want to create a community. Like our first... Besides that program, our first step is to buy a three flat that has a commercial bottom. Okay. We're partnered with uh, we're partnered with a veteran coffee shop. They're going to come in and run a coffee shop out of it. Uh, we're going to build a CrossFit gym in the back, and then have in the middle floor. There's going to be a 
like a, just a team room where kids can come do homework. They can watch a movie, all sorts of stuff. And you're going to have some of the guys living on the top floor. Will there be some any kids paying it? Go ahead. No, I was just going to ask, will there be some sort of commitment from the businesses that are owned there to hire from within the community itself? Because we've uh, discussed this quite a bit that part of, uh, fighting this violence comes from giving opportunities to the community itself and making sure that people are empowered, empowered within that community. So I would just, it, it sounds like such a great idea that, that you guys are reinvesting in this community, providing this conduit for uh, veterans as well as, um, uh, you know, people in the community. I'm wondering, will the job opportunities also be available to them? So we will use that coffee shop specifically to veterans living in the community. Okay, good. So whether they move into the community or they are living in the community. And then it's going to be a place where the kids in our program can learn how to function in a job. Hmm. Not just in a normal job, but like how to have a mindset where they're a leader. So one big thing is that we want to build future leaders and incorporate their families in that process. Okay. So, Brother Raymond, are you on the line, Raymond Richards? Yes, I am. Okay, good. So, you know, I want to pose the same. Maybe you can introduce yourself to the panel here, my brother. And maybe you can uh, tell us a little bit about your organization and what more can be done to reduce this epidemic, you know, uh, reverse this epidemic of gun violence here in Chicago, Brother Raymond Richards. Sure, sure. My name is Raymond Richards. I'm CEO of Brothers Stand Together, a 501 c nonprofit organization who work with youth and men and women coming home from prison. Yes, indeed. For one... We have to be inclusive and not exclusive, meaning the local officials, the state officials, and the businesses, and the community leaders must all come together and set aside our differences for the betterment of our children okay. and our elderly. One of the things I see so often, T.O., is that every time somebody comes in our black or brown community, they got these excellent ideas, but we're not involved. That means like the young man just posed a great question when he said, would they be behind within a community? And I applaud your work here on the preventative end, but we so reactive instead of proactive, that's one of the problems. That's why it's 700 and some murders today. Yes, indeed. Because it seems like they wait until after it happens, then everybody want to go out and protest, want to do peace circle, and want to talk about what's going on with the problem, which we all know what's going on, that 92% of the black and brown people are unemployed. And with this pandemic, that's like 100% unemployment rate in the black and brown community. So you tell me I'm not able to feed my children, I'm not able to pay my bills, I'm not able to do anything that on the normal that I'll be able to do, what do you think I'm going to do next? Okay. It creates chaos as far as selling drugs, robbing people, drive-by, shoot-ups, just like the young man got killed on the expressway. You know, all that's an act of no economic development in these communities. But we come up with all these great companies and organizations, but they're only there for the benefits themselves. They're not there to empower the communities. And unless you empower the communities and get the, the, uh, the shooters and the dope dealers and the robbers involved, then you ain't going to never solve this issue. It'll be an ever-going epidemic. And as you look at the demographics in the city of Chicago, 
I don't know if people paid attention, but the black and brown community is being outnumbered by the European community. Okay. So yeah, okay, Raymond. I appreciate so hanging there. We just have a panel, and then Sean is a Sean is a former police officer, am I right? Uh, no, Sean. Sean uh, no, not Sean. He has the dog. You talking about Jermaine? Uh, yeah, Sergeant Harris Sergeant is a police Harris. is with the police yeah. department. Right. So, um, oh, yeah. I think that gives a, a lens to a unique perspective, right? You have Sean who's right. come in here That's and is empowering. Yeah. Uh, exactly what uh, Raymond said, right? He's empowering the community to kind of help themselves. He's coming exactly. in there. He's building an infrastructure. Teal, you talk about this a lot, right? You talk about investment in the community, Always. whether it's um, you've talked about local businesses being owned by members of the community. But what really um, I think interests me about what Sean's doing is he's finding veterans and, and the way he likened what they've dealt with, what sometimes what's going on in this community and the fact they're part of this community to reinvest in that community, I think is definitely one of those things. And, and that partnership he has with the police department, I think. In my opinion, I think it's a step in, um, but you would know better, Tio, but yeah. I believe it's a step in making kind of a conduit for this. Now, this is the thing. I want to ask you a question, Jermaine, if you don't mind being a police sergeant. And uh, I'm not against the police. I want to make that clear. I'm not anti-law enforcement. My thing, I'm anti-excessive force and, you know, police brutality. But Jermaine, uh, this is the question. Why is it that the police cannot stop some of the gun violence on the front end from your perspective? That's just a question I have for you, because I know the police, there's a rule. There, there are rules of engagement. For example, the police cannot get involved until a crime has been committed or something like that, uh, Jermaine. So can you help me out a little bit there so we can maybe learn how we can stop it more on the front end, opposed to coming after the fact all the time? Yeah, so really the, the way, like to point that out, though, we talk about reactionary and reactive. This is the design of how law enforcement, you know, is meant to operate is, is reactionary in nature. When okay. we talk about doing prevention work, right? When we talk about that type of work, that there lies in the, in the necessity to create partnerships within the community. Because there is no way that as police, there are tools that are needed to serve the social needs, right? On the belt of an officer, there's nothing there that's really designed to build and create, right? We carry handcuffs. We carry guns. Those aren't tools of creation, right? Exactly. So what it means to, to do that type of work requires us to have real serious partnerships and collaborations with community partners that address the social root cause issues, right? And those root cause issues is what get us to where we need to be. And the, the energy, and, and like the brother was talking about, right, the energy of empowerment, that has to be a real intentional, intentional activity that we do to say, how do we take this power, you know, as, as, as government agencies, as business owners, as all of these different people who possess the power, how do we give some of that power back to the, to the residents, to the community, to the citizens, to be able to help and support themselves? Because you cannot sustain an effort, right, if it's not from within, right? That stuff has to come from inside the community. And so really the conscious effort has to be in that type of activity mm -hmm. to, address those, to address those root causes. And we are going to continue this conversation. We've been having a, a, a great conversation with our three panelists right now. We invite you to also call in 773-763-9278. We are going to come back and talk to Jim. Uh, Isan, we know you've been holding. We're going to continue this conversation right after this. Take a commercial break. Got it. The minority groups in America are severely affected by COVID-19 due to health care and economic inequities. Chicago, now it's your time to make a difference in your community and join the fight against this global pandemic. Loretto Hospital, in partnership with Affinity Health, are seeking healthy volunteers to find a potential COVID-19 vaccine. Interested participants can call 877-L-TRIALS 
or visit chicagocovidvaccine.com to learn more. Megan Financial is an independent retirement and financial services firm dedicated to the working men and women of organized labor. Megan provides straightforward, custom-fit financial advice and specializes in defined benefit and defined contribution pension plans, as well as participant and retiree health and welfare benefits. Megan Financial has the knowledge and experience to navigate the union member through all phases of life. Call 708-444-1090. Securities and advisory services offered through Satera Advisors, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC, a broker-dealer and registered investment advisor. Satera is under separate ownership from any other named entity. Office location at 5321 South 94th Avenue, Orland Park, Illinois, 60462. Ever wonder about the story behind the story? Who are the people you watch delivering the news, filming the scenes, and putting pen to paper to tell the story you read in your morning paper? Tune in to Media Essential Workers on Facebook and YouTube to find out. With constant changes in the Chicago media landscape, one reliable source keeps track of the people bringing you the stories. Media Essential Workers, the premier live stream telling the story of the storytellers. Sunday nights at 7. Like, subscribe, and follow Media Essential Workers to find out about special shows during the week. Hosted by Raza Siddiqui, Media Essential Workers gets the story of the storytellers. Against the Grain, Raza Siddiqui, T.O. Hardiman. Um, we are joined by a panelist of great guests. And actually, uh, one of the things I did want to address, um, you know, if you listen to commercial media essential workers, one of the things I yeah. do wish that media would concentrate on more is some of these good stories in the community. I mean, sometimes they'll come out there when there's when there's a negative story or violence, but you have people like Sean, Jermaine, who are working to build together and foster kind of like a liaison um, that I wish would get a little more of a spotlight instead of just the negative news. We have, T.O., a couple of... Uh, callers who have come in who want to join the discussion let's get with uh isan who's been holding for a little bit yeah brother isan yeah i'm here yeah no thank you for holding on for a little bit brother uh this is a question we're gonna go right to the point i know you've been working for a long time in the community you've written a book as well what more you think yeah. can be done to reduce this gun violence in chicago uh, uh mr isan what you think can be done what more yeah, definitely. Let me introduce myself real quick. My name is Pete Keller. I'm also known as Eastside. I'm also across the bridge, as well as the new release, uh, Community Green, Pete Keller Chronicles. I'm a founder of an organization called ULON, U-L-O-N, which is uh, dealing with anti-recidivism. It also deals with helping the uh, the gang, we would used to say the gang activity, the gang members, getting them out of the gang, shaping them up, putting some money in their pocket and getting them back into society. So what I do is deal with the, the riffraff, those that people really don't want to deal with, or that the police still is a problem right now. And you have to remember, before these gangbangers went away, anybody, there was somebody's son, somebody's brother, you know, something detoured them into getting into the gang lifestyle. So we're talking about crime here, right? And we're talking about guns. Two things that go together, we have to remember that the finance is what is really kind of pushing the neighborhoods, what we call the ghettos, into making these young brothers join because they need finance. You know, the, the father's usually on drugs, so the mother has to work, which leaves the children at home alone. So as soon as they get out of school, what are they doing? They're hitting the streets. This is when all the you know negative influences come along and they join the gang. So what I do, I go citywide. I'm a citywide activist slash advocate, and I get out here and I t- deal with the gang members, get them out of the gang, or slowly get, you know, some type of redirection in their mindset 
Then once I get them that way, because I've you know I've done, and I live the life. I know about the life. Once I do that, then we redirect them into working and put some money in their pocket. Now slow money is obviously better than no money. So we have our challenges up against us, but right now that's exactly what I'm doing, and um, I'm glad to be a part of the panel. Okay, thank you so much for uh, that, brother Isan. So yeah, brother Raza, what do you think? Because Isan is taking a lot of young guys, helping to turn them around in in his work that he's doing. So that's really necessary. And then so. I'll turn it over to you now, brother. Well, no, I, absolutely. I always yes, agree that uh, we have to fight recidivism, right? I, I mean, here's the, the the pure fact about it is that when you have a criminal conviction and when you're not entitled to the opportunities that everyone else can get, it really is a stigma that can affect you the rest of your life. And how are you going to then get into an, a, a structure, into a system uh, where you can better yourself, where you can see another life for yourself, or where you can see another path forward. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, organizations like this, um, uh, there's another one too, Safer Ways, I believe it is. It's safer been a, Foundation. Safer Foundation. They're doing God's work, I believe, right. because again, they are giving that second chance. They are giving people who have suffered something, who have, who have created, uh, who have had a problem in the past, giving them a way to be like, okay, you know what? Let's acknowledge that and let's move forward, matching them with employment well, opportunities. Know, but I have to ask a devil's advocate question to all the panelists. Anybody can answer, okay? Sure. This is the thing. I still haven't had my question answered when it comes down to stopping the killings on the front end before somebody pulls the trigger. That's what I want to get to right now because, like I say, a lot of things are reactionary, but I know for a fact uh, one must possess the ability to intercept whispers on the street level in order to stop it on the front end. See, on behalf of Violence and Interrupters, I'm not saying I'm the only organization because there's no ego with me. We have to remove our ego from this work. But the reality is that how can we stop a guy from shooting somebody anyway? That's the bigger question right there, because if not, we're going to continue to talk about high levels of gun violence in Chicago. And believe it or not, contrary to popular belief, Chicago is not in the top 10 for homicides nationwide. You got cities like uh, St. Louis, Missouri, uh, Memphis, Tennessee, you know, other cities like that, believe it or not. But when it comes down to some Chicago communities like West Garfield, Austin and Inglewood, you got about 30 people per 100,000 being shot. Those numbers are really like uh, they're way off the charts. So somebody help me out here. Tio, would you indulge me? Give me a second, indulge me. Let's do this to keep this orderly, keep it moving. Let's go down this way. Let's go top to bottom with the panelists. Let's start with Sean, Sergeant Harris, then Richard. Sean, what's the answer to that question with these exorbitant amount of shootings that are happening? How do we stop it? How do we stop it? I laugh because it's such a deep and hard question to answer. But I think it, I, I do agree. I think it is the question. Uh, my thing is, it's a presence and a mindset that needs to be put off by the put out by the community. It's building the community from within, with the say of the community, and putting a, a new and different mindset out there. It could be all the way from, hey, if your kid is the one who tracks someone down to shoot someone, the community has the confidence to bring that person forward and say, hey, it was that person over there. They're the one who's the violent criminal. Yes, yes. And until, it, until, until you have the confidence and the safety in that community, that's not going to happen. And the second thing I personally believe, it's building young leaders with their families and some, you know, bringing, the, bringing other communities in to help, help with that. 
it's gonna it's gonna be a joint effort, a collaboration, without a doubt. Sergeant right, Harris, we'll, we'll we'll go to you next, and and Sean brought some good points about uh, how the community needs to come together to help some of these problems. We also do, and we would be remiss if we didn't mention there is a code of silence, right? There there's a cultural code of silence. I think sometimes uh, perceived on both sides of, of the line. How do you uh, counteract this? How do you move past this? And how do you foster these relationships? Yeah, so for the first, the first thing, it, it really has to start with, with the context of where you're coming from. Here, So the narrative that, that exists in South and West Side communities are vast and complex. It's not a single narrative, right? When we talk about every single Black person is not in a gang, every single Black person exactly. is not in a prison. Like, so those narratives that we, as we try to describe our communities, if we set it and, and, type, and type it around just that idea, we're already behind the ball and we're lost. So what that means is it's asset-based thinking, right? For, for the successful people, right? The, for the successful people, the people like me, I'm a res resident of the West Side. I was born in Austin. I live in North Lawndale today, right? It's successful members all, all over the city of Chicago. What was it in their lives that made a difference? How do we replicate that outcome? And, and to do that is that's what we take and we put into each of these situations, right? And a lot of it really comes down to that adult support, that mentor, that person that helps guide and steer, your, steer, steer what you do. For some of us, it might have been a coach. For some of us, it's a teacher. For many of us, it's our parents. But really what that idea is that as adults, our responsibility is to take that time and do something. We can't sit on the sidelines. We cannot watch. We cannot say, as long as it's not my kid, it's okay. As long as they're on that end of the block and not in front of my house, it's okay. And I ignore these problems because eventually it's going to spill over and it's going to touch us. So we have a responsibility to humanity. We have a responsibility to our city. We have a responsibility to this nation, really, for us to stand up and start doing something. Take, find that person. Find that child. Find that 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 individual that may be just coming home or, or that, that, you know, that, that, had a bad, that had a bad spell and do what we can to support that. Because there are far more of us yep. that are in the position to do something good. There are far more of us that can be able to step up. But if we step back and say, as long as it's not me, you know, if I'm not worried about it. If it doesn't touch me, I'm not worried about it. And that problem, like that issue right there is what's creating this replication, this cycle, and these issues that are going on. When you look at violence, it is, it is, it is a small group of people, right, that are involved in this, in this lifestyle. Exactly. It's a small group of people that are involved, that are engaged in this activity. But for so many of us, who don't have that worry, we're okay to step back and watch it because as long as it's not me, and we ignore these issues and we ignore these problems. But what it means is we got to get in a game. We got to stop talking. We got to stop sitting back watching and we have to do something. We got to okay. speak up. Um, join this discussion. Uh, we have a great discussion talking about how to uh, how to approach the gun violence situation and how we can almost uh, empower through opportunity. Join this conversation at 773 763 9278. Tio Hardeman, Raza Siddiqui, Against the Grain, 773 763 9278. Do we want to go to Richard? Yeah, I know we brother. also we have Jim. Holding. Jim's been holding on, brother Richard, uh, Raymond, and then he signed. So we're going to bring Jim in and then we'll get back to you guys in a minute to answer that same question for us. Yeah. Brother Jim. Jim, you're on Thank Against you. the Grain. Thank you. Um, you know, part of the problem is the common denominator between all these democratically controlled cities where the answer is always raising taxes. And you have people like George Soros, state attorneys like Tim Fox, where crime is not punished, you know, and you've got all these things that just keep going on because the enforcement isn't there. You've got this attitude about defund the police and also other kind of thing. And until you start getting better leaders in the cities, you're going to see the same keep on perpetuating. This has been discussed for years, you know, but yet 80, 90% of the black vote goes Democrat. 
and nothing happens because there's no competition for the vote. And until there is, things aren't going to change because the system is in place where people don't care because the votes they get for granted and they don't have to work for it. Jim, okay. thank you for that. And Teal, actually, I'm going to put you on the spot here because uh, you've actually been running sometimes against the establishment. You've yeah. been on both sides of the ticket in terms of uh, uh, policy-based stuff, right? You ran as a Republican. You've ran as a Democrat. So I, I think you know a little something about mm. getting outside of the system. So uh, w- what's your take well, on no, that? I appreciate you, Jim, calling in. I must say, uh, when it comes to politics, you know, you need people from the nitty gritty. And let me explain the nitty gritty. You need somebody that understands what it means to uh, rob your piggy, piggy bank to put money on, on to get on the bus or put gas in your car. You need somebody that understands the working class people in them high level positions, because if you vote for people that don't understand what takes place. See, some people don't know what it means to not be able to pay your rent one month and hope that you get a check the next month to pay your rent. So you need some people that have walked in those type of shoes to take public office because they can identify with the working class people. So you have to understand, you only have 17 billionaires that live in Illinois. 99.8% of the people that that live in Illinois are working class and poor people. So you need somebody that represents that population. So with me being Democrat or Republican, really I'm a progressive Democrat, but what happens is that I understand the playing field. So I may run in different, you know, cycles, whatever the case may be, to represent the voice for the voiceless people which is very important. And then when people listen to guys like me, this is no ego here. When I first ran for governor, we secured close to 30% of the state vote. That was pretty awesome, considering the fact I didn't have a whole lot of money. I'm running against a machine, all right? I'm the guy that would take on the machine in a heartbeat, all right? That's the kind of way I was raised coming about the projects here in Chicago. And then I ran against, you know, J.B. Prisker and company. He spent $170 million, so it was hard to really defeat J.B. Prisker. But I wouldn't mind taking on J.B. one-on-one. I think I can do a pretty good job. But I'm not that, that doesn't say that I'm going to run. I'm not saying I'm going to run. Let me make that clear. It's not political for, for me. But the thing is, uh, I understand taking on the machine. Just put it like that. Wow. Yeah. Uh, you know what? We got another call that I, yeah, I, I got, think we uh, should definitely take. We got uh, Greg from Austin um, who has some questions for Sergeant Harris. So let's get okay. right to Greg if we could. Yeah, brother Greg. Greg got some questions for Sergeant Harris. Hello. Yes. My name is Greg. Listen, uh, I think if you really want to address a problem, you can't address it from the uh, standpoint of prevention. We've already been dealing with solving, trying to solve this problem through prevention, attention, and I mean, uh, detention. We have to use attention programs. Everybody in the neighborhood know who's the undercover drug dealer, who's the person calling shots. If the community don't want to deal with that person and, and, and create a situation where that person is being confronted, then you can't solve the problem on the local level. Then all of the other groups got to come together and form a, a way of changing the mindset of the community on three different levels. You have to deal with that kid that's kind of like the Jazzy Jeff who's out of control, gangbanger. But you also got to deal with that kid that's like the Will Smith that has the ability to go bicultural and understand how to cross over. And then you need that kid that's adverse risk that stays away. If you don't create a network where you bring those three individuals under some type of mentoring and supervision to create that define, because what you're talking about is you're talking about people with poor group identity. If you have an unstructured family environment, then you go through an unstructured, informal gang environment to an informal prison. We're dealing with informal 
knocking structure in our community. It has to start with us using a tension model, not prevention, not intervention, not detention. Okay. We got to pay attention to the kids. We see wearing the same clothes two or three days. That kid, we know mom is on drugs. And if the community don't address that kid, you know, they always say that African father it takes a village to raise the child, or it takes a tribe to raise the village. So if the people don't raise the village first, then you can't deal with the children being lost. Well, Craig, it seems to me that that's pretty much exactly what uh, Sean is trying to foster and create with bringing in this community involvement with creating um, kind of these infrastructures of mentorship and a kind of integration with the community, right? Uh, did you listen to the earlier part of the community? And do you think if you did the earlier part of the conversation that this would be a good solution and in line with what you're thinking about creating that mentorship? Yeah, but it, it takes a certain curriculum of the mindset. The mindset is is not the mindset of a criminal person. It's the mindset of a person that's traumatized that's a victim. And if you don't know how to speak to that person and approach it from that angle and just keep dealing with it as a criminal problem, as a violence problem, then you're not dealing with it correctly. These individuals have lost their ability to feel empathy. So that means you have to address it through that kind of uh, uh, way. So a curriculum has to be crafted that really addresses that on a small group dynamic where they already have the intimate group dynamic. But if you can't find a way to penetrate those little street clicks and change yeah. the narrative on that level. But again, like I said, you also got to address these dudes that go to churches, that have jobs, but still understand and look the other way in the community to accept that lack of finances being made in community. No, so Brother Greg, no, he makes a good that, point. That, that's, such a, Very good point. that's such a true point. Uh, one reason that I'm so passionate about this is I had childhood trauma, so my frontal lobe changed. And I went through my 20s with PTSD, and it wasn't until I had a Navy SEAL as a mentor who had me face the person who caused that trauma and mentored me through it. I wasn't able to be successful. And I feel very privileged that I grew up in the neighborhood I did. But I see this all the time in Austin. I, I see the kids who are seeing that trauma and I'm seeing the reaction. And it, it breaks my heart because they don't have the resources I had to go through that. That's right. And that, that's exactly what we need to bring. Because it is harder to get through that. It was hard for people to get through to me. Because I would go, if I felt threatened, I would go straight to fight. And, you know, in that yeah, situation, really hard situation. But one of the things that happened is we have so many multiple groups putting out different messages and different approaches. It's kind of hard to, to find that meta narrative that we need to create it. It's like, if I had to do it, it's like black on black murder matters. Black on black murder matters. Putting that T-shirt out. Creating a concept where you you're, you're changing the identity of the uh, of the group. You got to understand that is that okay. these individuals need finance. The finance can't be structured until you know how to to create that empowerment. The gentleman that was talking about empowerment, I one hundred percent agree with him. It, it is an asset based phenomenon. But so yeah, Greg, we want to. Um... 
Thank you, Brother Greg. You make some valuable points, but we our phone lines are lighting up on us. Yes, and, and we do have to get to our uh, commercial break, but we are going to continue this uh, discussion about uh, Chicago violence um, and yeah. how to counteract it. And again, this is a great point that we need to bring up uh, the trauma and how to deal with it. So we're going to talk a little bit about that with our panelists right after uh, we come back. Okay, good stuff. All right. Are you interested in being one of the first participants in a COVID-19 vaccine clinical trial in Chicago? Affinity Health is currently seeking healthy volunteers who may be eligible for a COVID-19 investigational vaccine study. This will take place at the Loretto Hospital in Chicago, Illinois. We are looking for people who work as teachers, factory workers, retail workers, or anyone exposed to many people during their workday. Visit ChicagoCovidVaccine.com or call 877-L-TRIALS to learn more. That's 877-587-4257. Megan Financial is an independent retirement and financial services firm dedicated to the working men and women of organized labor. Megan provides straightforward, custom-fit financial advice and specializes in defined benefit and defined contribution pension plans, as well as participant and retiree health and welfare benefits. Megan Financial has the knowledge and experience to navigate the union member through all phases of life. Call 708-444-1090. Securities and advisory services offered through Satera Advisors, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC, a broker-dealer, and registered investment advisor. Satera is under separate ownership from any other named entity. Office location at 5321 South 94th Avenue, Orland Park, Illinois, 60462. Ever wonder about the story behind the story? Who are the people you watch delivering the news, filming the scenes, and putting pen to paper to tell the story you read in your morning paper? Tune in to Media Essential Workers on Facebook and YouTube to find out. With constant changes in the Chicago media landscape, one reliable source keeps track of the people bringing you the stories. Media Essential Workers, the premier live stream telling the story of the storytellers. Sunday nights at 7. Like, subscribe, and follow Media Essential Workers to find out about special shows during the week. Hosted by Raza Siddiqui, Media Essential Workers gets the story of the storytellers. Okay, you're back again with Against the Grain with T.O., Mr. Ceasefire Hardeman, and Raza Siddiqui, my co-host. So let's get right back to the conversation, Brother Raymond. And Isan, I'm going to ask you first, Raymond. Yeah. I would like for you to answer this question for me as direct as you can for a few seconds here. What more can be done to stop it on the front end? That's the question I pose because we can all talk about what we're going to do after the fact. What can we do, Raymond? I know you've mentored a lot of young men in Cabrini Green with your organization. Help me out, Brother Raymond Richards. Help me out here. So what, I'm, what I wanted to get at was, first of all, we have to build a relationship with our people, right? We cannot no longer walk past or be afraid of our children and our community. And secondly, we have to give them an alternative. We got to put the hammer in their hand so they can put the gun down, so they can put the drug down. And we have to create, again, an economic base so that they can go to work and they can earn a living as opposed to standing on the corner selling dope and drugs. So okay. if we don't do that, then, of course, we're not going to be able to stop anything on the front end. And it'll always be a reactional uh, event. But if we come down and say, okay, let's get these businesses in the community to help employ the people that live in the community that buy from the stores, the gas stations, the beauty salons, the uh, clothing stores, 
then we'll see a change. And until then, we won't see it. Thank you, my brother, without a doubt. So before we bring Margo, if you don't mind, Isan, help me out too with the same question, bro, since you're still hanging in there. Yeah, definitely. Okay, well, we all know that since the 60s, Chicago has been an after-sex city. Um, when they took the Black Panthers, everything has kind of been downhill since then. All the games came from the Black Panthers. Now, when I say after-sex, I'm talking about after the fact that the crime has been committed. Perfect example. They spent $38 million on high-definition cameras on CTA. Are you crazy? We could have took half of that money, put it back into the communities. So after effect needs to be more prevention, intervention, meaning these people who are getting all this money need to start dealing with us, the grassroots organizations, and say, hey, look, you guys are the frontline soldiers. You guys are out here making a difference. They need to start paying us to do the intervention, period. Chicago's never going to change until we get intervention going, which means finance are coming to the city, whether it be through Mary Lightfoot or anybody else, need to start cutting us in. Because what they're doing is Arnie Duncan and the rest of these people, they're getting the money and working on after effect. So the crime be committed already. How do we stop the crime? We get out here, we do all the things that we can do because we're being noticed. Everybody knows us, right? The first soldiers, they know T.O., they know Raymond, they know everybody else is out here, but they're not giving us any finance to take care of it. What we're doing is we're on the front line every day, risking our lives, doing what the police won't even do. And we're okay. not getting paid for it. So what we need to do is start demanding that these other public officials start cutting us in and we can do the job that we're meant to do. Period. Thank you, bro. Thank you, brother Isan. So we got a couple more yeah, calls coming calls. in. We want to make sure to get to everyone uh, to continue this discussion. Uh, Margo from Naperville, you're on with T.O. Hardiman, Rasa Siddiqui. Hi, Margo. Hi, how are you doing? Doing good, Margo. Doing good. Um, I think we have to back up farther in our society to see the basic issue and then address that, which is that our education is paid for by property taxes. And unfortunately, in any neighborhood where there's lower income, then the schools don't get given the money they need. Therefore, the people or the children who don't get the proper um, educational and psychological support to feel valuable and wanted and find career, be guided to careers that they really like to do and have some self-worth, then there wouldn't be an attraction to the gangs and the money and the, and the um, sense of self-worth because you're a so-and-so gang member. I think the society is structured completely wrong with the education system. Yeah, I could and not have said that any better myself. It's like right. a two-tier system of dreams, right? Yes. Everyone has the yeah. same dreams. Everyone wants to do something, but the economic uh, uh, prosperity of your community and, and the rights, the access you have to get that is really what suffers in some of these. And I think we need to look at those infrastructures. You've talked oh, about to you, yeah. these institutions within your own community to empower and I always say empower, but and enrich that community because without enriching that community, how do you empower it? How do you get access to these opportunities? Like Marco was saying, property taxes feed into the education system. How do we get everyone on the same uh, level footing unless we address these sy no, systemic problems? No, that's very important. So I, I agree with Margo. I appreciate your call from out of Naperville all the way. You know, that kind of hit my heart there because we have to distribute the resources on a, on, in, a, in a balanced way. 
a very much balanced way, okay? We got a call coming in from oh, Indiana. Yeah, you got, Greg, uh, you're yeah, on. Greg, so, Margo, thank you, Margo. Thank you so much. Okay, and Greg, uh, Bishop Greg Greer. Gio Hardiman and uh, everyone on the show and your fan base, hey, I wanted to tell you thank you for inviting me on. And definitely a very sensitive subject, which we've been dealing with for the course of the last several years. And listen, I, uh, I definitely believe that we have to pretty much extend the call to action. One of the things that we had done in the past, and I think it still is an ongoing effort, is to make sure that public health and law enforcement collaborate as much as possible. I mean, you know, you came from pure violence, and, you know, not to say that all of the aspects of that tenant is where we're going in the future, uh, that it was even necessary, but it is necessary that we look and see how many resources we can pull down. I mean, if you can give money to Madison Avenue or Wall Street or some of the business districts in Chicago, then why can't we take some of the impoverished urban areas and start getting better training, better resources all the way from elementary school on up. And we have to start educating. I think someone else said it, and I'm sure other folks said it, but we got to start getting these young kids when they're in their early, early elementary school, eighth grade, ninth grade, before that, before they become violent offenders. And we got to really educate them about the differences that they can make when they become productive citizens. Because that kind of prevention will go a long way. I would rather see more power to the, the training to elementary schools than to spend it, spend, than to have some of these folks spend their life in the pen over things that, you know, a lot of times can be avoided. You know, okay. and I'm not saying that's necessarily in every case, but early education has to be a big element in our communities. Yes, indeed. Well, thank you, uh, Bishop. It means a lot that you called in. So, you know, time is upon us, and we've got a few more minutes on there, so we want to turn it over to Brother Raza, and let's see what, what else we have here. Well, we got a couple of minutes. I want to give every one of our panelists who came on the opportunity to tell a little about their work and, and how people can find out more. I want to talk, Sean, real quickly, if you could just tell us a little about Walking with a Warrior, how people could find out more about this. Well, so we are in the upside, uh, Upstart. We're getting our website going right now. There is a Facebook page, and then you can also, you know, Sean Easton on Facebook, you can just reach out to me and connect with me. Uh, send me a message. We'd be happy to talk. Okay. Or maybe reach out to the Primo Center about the program. Got it. Raymond Richards, same thing. How can people find yeah, out more? Uh, well, Brothers Stand Together has social media on uh, Instagram, Facebook. Our website is www.brotherstandtogether.com. We are located in the Green Green area. 542 West Hobby Street, or you can email us at brotherstandingtogether09 at gmail.com. Yes, indeed. Isan, uh, tell us a little about how we can uh, reach out more and find out more about your organization. Isan? Okay. Yeah, tell us about your organization real quick here, brother Isan. Yeah, yeah, we're here. Yes. Okay, so you can reach me at uh, ulon, which is ulon.life. So you, could, you don't even need W's nowadays. We put in ulon.life, um, and we are also accessible at uh, 312-834-8020. That's the office number, 312-834-8020. And if you know anybody that is um, an ex-offender coming home, male or female, please send them to us and we'll get them employment. All right? Thanks. Pastor Greer. Yes, that's, uh, you, know, you can reach me at freedomfirstinternational.net. We're on Facebook, Twitter and every other medium out there. So freedomfirstinternational.net. Great. And you guys already know how to find us. 
to you, Mr. Ceasefire Hardiman, Raza Siddiqui on every Sunday against the grain. You can also reach out to us on our Facebook uh, against the grain with Teal Hardiman, Raza Siddiqui. We're all about keeping this conversation going. It's not something we're going to figure out in an hour, but I think it gives us some uh, good topics to focus on for the next time too, namely education and the opportunities within the educational system. And I know that's something you and I will take on. Well, no, it's been a blast. Everybody calling in, I think is very informative and uh, all we have to do now is just keep it going, educating the masses, other people. But I would love to see Chicago reduce our homicides by 50 or 60% very soon. Too many people are hurting out here. Too much trauma, way too much trauma in Chicago. Firefighter was just killed, a retired firefighter. Um, so uh, again, thank you for joining us and thank you for calling in and uh, going upon the discussion. Talk to you soon. Against the grain. Thank you. That's it. That's a wrap. Uh-huh.